Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I am Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are once again joined by a guest. Uh, This week we are joined by Sam Clements. Sam, welcome to the show. Hi there. Good to have you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to talking about Jaws. Yeah, so before we get started on today's scene, we ask all our guests, um, what is it about Jaws for you? What is it? uh, How were you first introduced to the film? And then why has it stuck around in your life to the point where you were willing to come on a show to talk about uh, one minute or thereabouts of the film? (laughs) Well, it's kind of something that was always around in my house. My uncle absolutely adored it and it was just always constantly on and instead of being oh I don't want to watch this anymore I can't bear this anymore I was always becoming more kind of hypnotized by it especially with the music and the way Steven Spielberg used different shots of angles and the mise-en-scene and every everything and it's just one of those films that you never ever tire of and there's always something that you can find yeah definitely uh like like in this week's scene so this week's timestamp is from 59 minutes and 12 seconds through uh one hour uh so congratulations sam you're on the the one hour mark (laughs) uh episode one hour and one minute and 28 seconds um so just over two minutes of of footage here and this is another montage um Mm-hmm. And it starts off with <clears throat> seeing a shark fin come across the top of the water, which is the first time we've seen any piece of a shark, really. And uh, we see a woman notice the fin and freak out. And then a man. Am I, do I have this order right? We see a, a woman yep. see yep. it, and then a man, and then the the the, the coast guard or, or the the people hired to protect the shores, and mm-hmm. then uh, chaos ensues, and everyone starts. They start kind of herding everyone back onto the shore. People are um, yelling and screaming, and the camera is really like uh, close up with them following the action. And Larry and Brody are both on the shore. Brody's freaking out, you know, communicating back and forth with Hooper, um, who is informing Brody about the shark fin that they see. Larry's on the beach kind of watching uh, the unraveling of what he has just done. (laughs) Um, And uh, then we get the final shots of the scene where we find out that it was a cardboard fin, that two kids were piloting and they pop pop out of the water to see uh tens of guns pointed at them (laughs) and uh one kid blames the other kid that it was his idea he just immediately (laughs) passes the buck to that kid and uh yeah that's the scene so 
what did you guys notice in this scene um that kind of stuck out to you the lack of music mm. mm-hmm. it, the only <laughs> bit of music you get is the kind of beach fanfare and that's mm-hmm. just at the very beginning. And then it's all powered by the reactions of the people. And mm. it's, that is a weird thing for, especially Steven Spielberg film, I think. Yeah, I think the the absence of the score or just even absence of sound almost in, entirely in this in this bit. Obviously, we have like the screaming of the people and the splashing mm. of the water, but there's not even the sort of the distant noise of the, the radios on the beach or the band or anything like that. In terms of music, both in score and what is happening within the scene as well, there is nothing and it really throws you off. And I think that... I think we've been we've been trained by this point in the film to associate the score with the shark, even if we haven't realised it. Mm. So as we're seeing the chaos unfold, there is that sense of just something in the back of your mind being like, I don't think this is it. Even even the you know hundreds of times we've seen this film, there's something about it that doesn't feel quite as terrifying as the the Alex Kintner attack or then what we subsequently see with the attack in the pond when the score is there and we know it is the real shark but Mm. it still does a great job of just showing that absolute chaos and I think that one of the one of the scariest scenes which I'd never really put two and two together before and, and realized how scary this scene is or, or just a single shot really is the one right right at the beginning of this uh, chunk that we're talking about where you it sort of pans over the guy in the boat and you can see the beach in the background and then you can just see this fin mm. and at that point you can hear music like you you mentioned Sam it's this sort of carnival-esque music which we have spoken about a lot in the last couple of episodes is really scary especially if you have a clown phobia like me <laughs> um so so there's something about that that unsettles you but also just that idea of it appears like the spotter who we see in that shot has kind of taken his eye off the ball momentarily or he's not looking at where the shark is you can see all the people on the beach having a good time and then you just see that fin and that to me of this whole bit that we're talking about today i think is one of the scarier bits because it sort of descends into melodrama um once we get all the reactions of the people in the water which are brilliant and we will we will get into that because some of my favorite reactions are in this scene but yeah it's it's pretty chilling the lack of a score i think it's it's sort of it throws you off a bit it and it's meant to because this is this is a fake out this is a a red herring this is not the real shark and i think it's so clever how that's done because another filmmaker perhaps would keep the score in there and then do the sort of like reveal of it not being the real shark but choosing to to take out the score obviously emphasizes that association we have with score equals shark and shark equals score um but it's it just feels it just gets under your skin a little bit because you know something isn't quite right and i think that it's super effective um in the way that it does it definitely yeah uh 
I liked what you said about the way the scene ends up descending into melodrama because that is <laughs> the perfect way to describe it. I hadn't <laughs> found those words yet, but that's exactly what happens. It is so over the top. I mean, it really veers into like American International Pictures, Roger Corman, early De Palma, ridiculous territory uh <laughs> later this scene um it feels like it feels like it's beamed in from another movie almost like it doesn't it's so sam you were mentioning this off mic it's so out of place within this movie and that was the first thing that i've noticed which i haven't before until i i watched it for the show in this sort of isolated context where i was like ah he's like he's doing these things where he's got people like centered like dead center of the frame staring down the barrel of the camera and like mm, mm. Re reacting but not reacting until like a couple seconds after the shot starts like it, mm. it feels it feels very artificial in a way that shouldn't work but it actually adds to how people like how people would react because it takes them a second to process what's actually happening um it's a really I think it's a really funny scene and I don't know what that says about if that says more about me or Steven Spielberg. Um, but it's also really like brutal and horrific and we'll, we'll get more into that a little bit later. But this is like, I think one of the most horror driven scenes in the entire film. Definitely. It's, um, it's the whole thing about human nature and sometimes human nature is more vicious than shark attacks mm. because of what how people acted when they thought that they were in danger that they were going to become lunch and mm -hmm. that some of the actions of people are absolutely despicable in this it's <laughs> there's a comedian Billy Connolly and he did a joke mm. that if someone screams shark I'm throwing women and children behind me to try and get away <laughs> and yeah this this kind of proves that maybe he's not the only one who will do that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I the thing one of the things I wrote in my notes is that we kind of see the the breadth of humanity in these in these scenes um the depths of humanity I guess in these scenes um as the people react to what is happening the personal favorite of mine is the guy who tips the the other kids off of their <laughs> raft and just steals it and mm. swims back to the shore with it yeah. i i would love to just go through the rest of my life with the confidence of that guy <laughs> the balls of that guy shall we say <laughs> to just be like it's every man for himself screw mm. these kids i'm gonna like tip them off the raft and and take it for myself but it's pretty uh, <laughs> it's one of the things i find most horrifying about this scene is the person who is like face down in the water and people are just pushing over like pushing past him and pushing mm. over them and eventually he gets dragged out but yeah that is terrifying just the the being willing to like climb over over these bodies basically to get mm. out is horrifying yeah it's it's like watching a black friday video it's, <laughs> it's just literally these people i understand it's a matter of life or death and 
for some people black friday's like that and <laughs> you know you you know you've got to survive for whatever reason you think you deserve to survive for but when you're literally trampling over the weak and infirm in order to do this kind of mm -hmm. strikes me as maybe maybe we're not the shark isn't the bad guy in this one maybe <laughs> maybe we need to rethink the whole um who's actually the true horror on this one mm -hmm. people people are the villain in this <laughs> yes oh it's and it, there's one thing that always sticks with me and i it's kind of um there's a woman holding a baby and screaming in the water like proper mm -hmm it's almost like a hallmark film it's just over yeah. <laughs> overacting it but it's it doesn't take away from the scene usually when you see hammy acting you're like oh you've completely ruined that this one added to it mm -hmm. because i love that woman <laughs> she i mean i can completely understand where she's coming from if mm -hmm. all of a sudden this horde of people beachgoers you know, you're seeing little kids being ripped off of um, little rafts and everything. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got this little kid. Are they going to try and use my kid to swim to shore? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Just, oh. I, it is, <laughs> I, I have this headcanon, and I'm pretty sure, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, it, it, and I'm pretty sure he dies in it, but, uh, I don't care. The The guy who steals the raft is just... It's just Billy Zane from Titanic. But yes. years yes. later. It's the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very that. <laughs> steals a child. Yeah. Does he die in Titanic? I don't remember. No, I actually no. think he survives. Sadly. Yeah, okay. I, I couldn't remember. Well, this is him. He found his way to Amity and is like... <laughs> Amity, where all the bad people from the Titanic go to retire. <laughs> That's, so That's hilarious. Um, also, uh, in my brain, I called it Great White Friday. Um... <laughs> yeah, that so. shark really wants those uh, heavily discounted electronic goods. <laughs> yeah. The truck was like, that TV's on sale for $150. <laughs> I mean, we do have 4th of July sales here. They're not quite as uh, steep as Black Friday sales, but sure, why not? You do you, Shark. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to live your life. We're in the way. This is your home. Um, yeah, I... I know I said it, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record on this, but I don't know why this scene works. Because watching it out of context like this, I was like, what a bizarre sequence in this movie. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right, but it mm. works. And I don't, I, do you guys have any idea or thought as to why it might work? Because I really can't think of it. Because everything, everything about it is so... Well, like you, like you said, like hammy and over the top and melodramatic. And like, it is, the dial on this is cranked to 11. I mean, it is out of the most low budget, like horror movie techniques 
that you could mm. possibly find. Like, yeah. I feel like in any other movie, you would say it's like scraping the bottom of the barrel. But <laughs> mm-hmm. here, it fits in the context of large... I've never thought about it that way, ever. To me, it reminded me of stuff like um, Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure, where, mm. you know, when it hits the fan mm-hmm. and everything goes to chaos. This was like that for me. Uh, you could mm-hmm. easily call this the disaster movie moment. And mm. I th- that's... I don't know why it fit, but it did. And mm. I, I suppose because this came out just after um, Towering Inferno, I think. And we were still very much in that um, disaster movies make a huge amount of money. And mm. Maybe this was a kind of parody to that. It, That's a, a good point, actually. Like, it, it does have a lot of those things that you would expect to see in a in a disaster <clears throat> film. And I'm completely with you as well, MJ. There is something just weird and off about this scene as well that just makes it stick out like a sore thumb, really, compared to the rest of the film. And... Again, I haven't really thought about it until like watching it today and I was like, why does this feel so weird and unnatural? And a sort of conclusion or explanation I came up with was obviously this is the the whole point of this scene is sort of leading up to showing that it's all a, it's all a ruse. It's these kids like playing a prank. Um it's not the real shark. It's a it's a fake. It's a red herring. It's all the rest of it. So I I feel like the this they did things in this scene to sort of make it not fit with the rest of the film. So even though it is not telling you that until the end when you have, you know, the big reveal of the kids with the cardboard fin, you're getting that sense because of the lack of score, because of those weird kind of shots that you don't really get in the rest of the film, the over the top slightly hammy acting as well. All of these things are just... Something is telling you this isn't right. This isn't Mm. like the rest of the things I've seen. This isn't, you know, with the foresight that we have, this isn't like the things to come either. This scene is unlike any other scene in the whole film. And I, I would really like to think that that's deliberate. And if it is, that is an incredibly smart move on Spielberg's part. And also credit to Werner Fields as well with the editing. I think this is Mm. a very well edited sequence as well. And any opportunity to to praise the editing in Jaws, I will seize it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I have never really figured before, before doing this, how different and how odd this scene is. But I... I'm now pretty certain. I think it's I think it's deliberate and I think it is to sort of throw us off to make us feel like something isn't right here. We're not quite sure what and we don't find out until the end of this scene, but we're being led down this path of of suspicion, I guess, or or questioning or feeling a sort of unease um whether that's that's fear or 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 confusion, disorientation, something like that um because all of those things are present as well i mean we see frequently the screen um is obscured with with water splashes and you get this really sort of disorientating and confusing chaotic sequence where we hear screaming but it's not the people on screen who are screaming it's sort of happening off screen there's Mm. noise we don't know who's saying what what's who's who and where they're going um is it does a weird thing as well like right at the start of this bit when you see the the girl who 
uh, it sort of like focuses in on her face and, and does the very dramatic, oh my God, that girl, mm. um, who mm-hmm. is great. Um, and then you see the the guy react as well. And they should be next to each other because they're like in front of the same family. It's the family that Larry made go, made go out in the sea, first of all. Um, but when it's the shot of her, you don't see him. And when it's the shot of him, you don't see her sort of like swimming off in the background. So again, it was another like weird thing where I was like, maybe this is just a, a continuity thing that I've picked mm. out. But something about it felt off to me. And I think it's deliberate. I hope yeah. it is anyway. That would make me very happy. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it's, it's a strange thing that the family that um, the mayor was willing to sacrifice to the shark in order to get people into the water is the first family to get thrown into the water mm. by people trying to get out of the water. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that idea of ramping up the artifice because there is a level of artifice happening here, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's the shark. Um, and so he's just going to... It's it's sort of... It's sort of this, like, winking to the audience, it feels like, of, like, cheap thrills. Like, <laughs> it's almost like, like Spielberg's in on the joke here, where it's like, yeah, I know this is kind of shitty of me to do. Like, it's kind of mean <laughs> to have the fake-out thing. So I'm going to make it feel like it's out of, a, like, a Hammer movie. You know, it's, it's going to be kind of over the top and... and like like an exploitation movie or something like mm. this is this is like this is the little bit of the film where it gets to feel like a grindhouse type thing and um i mean it's really really good choices i just i just can't imagine any film getting away with that now i feel like people would really harp on this scene like if this movie came out you know this fourth of july or whatever i feel like people would be like hey what was the what was that scene in the middle that was so bizarre and <laughs> i i don't know if people would necessarily like think it it belonged or or even be that kind towards it towards it twitter mm. would have a meltdown <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, yeah cancel jaws will be the new hashtag and <laughs> Say no to fake outs. <laughs> Keep our lilos to yep. kids. <laughs> um. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, the hashtag wars over this scene alone would be uh, something to see. Um, but... So we've talked a lot about. Oh, before we move on from the 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 the, the chaos in the 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 sea, uh, I've never noticed that person getting trampled before. And do you think that person died? <laughs> um, because Maybe. I did. It's <laughs> all I remember seeing. The last thing you see of them is them lying on the beach and uh, mm. Brody saying, "Give a mare, give a mare." Mm. So hopefully they survived but then would you really want to survive after an incident like that with because i'd just lose all faith in humanity i'd never trust anyone again (laughs) and that's these people trampled these people trampled on my head whilst i was in the sea (laughs) yeah potentially being attacked by a shark yeah yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, it's that bit always gets me because it just it feels too too real, I think, mm. and it's not mm-hmm. sort of seeing someone get get attacked or bitten in half by a shark or something like that. It is someone in like not much water at all face down and potentially about to like drown and that is as horrifying uh, as sort of some of the other like attacks in this scene mm. to me personally anyway it just it's yeah i don't know i hope that he survived this will be like pippet where i'm like yeah of course like he lived and lived a happy long life on, yeah. <laughs> on yeah. amity following this yep. oh i would get pippet the hell out of it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I would be this crazy town. I would be out of Amity so fast. Mm. <laughs> Not a doing that cloud. again. Um, <laughs> I also like that this scene starts with um, two blonde women that the mm-hmm. it goes by, and so they like they look like Chrissy a little bit, right? Um, mm. Yeah, and I like that uh, little callback. It's it's real subtle, and I don't think you're gonna really notice it outwardly unless you're watching it in this way but mm-hmm. um because i i'd never noticed that before but it's really this really nice little thing to be like hey here are two young blonde women much like the the first victim of the shark like we know this is what like we to, to elaborate on the cheesecake factory thing from last week which sounds a little <laughs> like i'm objectifying these women and i apologize but uh <laughs> it's like the 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 shark being like, oh, well, we, us seeing it and being like, oh, we know the shark's like, the shark likes to eat young blonde women because that's how mm-hmm. we try to like tend to anthropomorphize things like that. And then it passes by it and you're like, oh, what's it gonna, you know, it's this little moment where you're like, what's it, what's it gonna do now? Because we know that its two favorite things are blonde women and children. So, uh, <laughs> what, what, you know, what's, the, what's the third option here? So, um, I really like that portion of it it just like it sets you up and it really hammers home like that you think the shark is real until you don't um Mm -hmm. you just immediately think it's the shark yeah there's a there's a nice link actually with um alex kintner which i had never noticed before which is the two the two young lads when they're getting pulled out of the water you see that both of them are wearing red trunks and they Mm. look pretty much exactly the same as the the red trunks that alex was wearing as well so again like i i picked out the the sort of the two the two blonde girls at the start because you you know we've been trained at this point to to suspect that that is the type of the type of person that the shark is going to going to attack or if not them then a then a child but um yeah i had no yeah not noticed i guess the those small children were really sort of living dangerously in many ways in choosing to do this prank because obviously the chaos and upset they've caused potential death of a poor old man getting trampled in the water um and just getting shot right right running the risk of being shot as well like they obviously this film is not about to show these like <laughs> shark spotters shooting these two children point blank that would be a very dark uh film indeed but it's I mean, you know, if it was sort of get rid of the shark or destroy the shark at all costs sort of thing, or they really believed that this was the shark, then surely they would just be firing at these these kids. They wouldn't stop to question. So, because yeah. um, all you see is the fin, you think, oh, yeah, there's the shark. And, and 
what reason do you have at that point to to suspect any different and it's not sort of until you see the kids emerge from the water that you're like oh <laughs> this is this is just a couple of kids mucking about but yeah they a link to alex i think is is deliberate and we see at least one of the kids um in the water i think the family that um larry sends in uh first um they've got like a yellow raft as well so exactly the same as as alex's so all these little links that it's making with the previous attacks and ramping up the sort of the yellow and the red as well that we've seen seen a lot of in previous scenes um we get again in this sort of cropping up regularly and it's it's leading us down that way of thinking something bad is gonna happen soon Mm. and the the reveal of it being being a prank and it being these two kids for like a split second you sort of go oh thank goodness but <laughs> as we will get into in in next week's scene it very very quickly takes takes a turn and it's it's so clever i think to do it in that way and i'm very glad this scene exists as weird and unnerving as it is and unusual compared to the rest of the film as well i think it's super super effective mm. um in leading us to a place of sort of like exhaling and thinking that things are over and Mm -hmm. and we've spoken about this a lot in in the past that um a sort of a very fine line or a finer line than you would think between comedy and horror and comedy is that sort of like leading up to something and and then the the break intention is when there is a big laugh or something funny happens and in horror it's when you know the break intention happens when something makes you jump or or leaps out at you or something happens that is dramatic and makes you sort of like gasp or or take your breath away in that moment and this this gives us the laugh at the end of it sort of being like oh it's just like these kids mucking about um but very quickly turns after that and it's uh yeah it it, it's about to get real again (laughs) it gets dark real quick at that point (laughs) yeah um I want to talk about, uh, before we talk more about the kids at the end, I want to talk about what's happening on shore. So uh, yes. we see we see Brody um, talking back and forth with Hooper. And, you know, they're just, they're, they're trying to figure out logistical things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brody's, you know, his, this is, this is really coming to a breaking point for both Brody and Larry, I think, because... Brody is still refusing to get in the water and mm. you know I I know there's the the line about you know if you're afraid of the water why do you live on an island and he's like it doesn't look like an island uh if you're on it or whatever but it really does feel like uh you should probably be out there <laughs> Brody like <laughs> you're in charge here man like come on uh we we need you to to you know step up in the face of danger and it's it is really interesting to you know and we've talked about this before as well to think about well brody's this grizzled new york cop who you know the the backstory we've written for him at least is that he was up against so much violence each day uh that you know it, it didn't matter what he was doing he wanted to go somewhere where it mattered and it's like he's to do that job at all you have to be sort of brave so mm-hmm why what is it that makes him so scared of the water and it's i mean i guess it's a typical spielberg protagonist right like indiana jones is like the bravest character in recent cinema history you could say but he's got his snakes thing so 
everyone's got to have that one thing their one boogeyman and his is mm. water um but it's really quite amazing because obviously where the film differs so much from the book in the book brody is tough as nails i yeah. mean in this he's, he's not a shrinking violent violet even sorry about that um but in the book he's you know he's really quite rough he's he's no shy he's no shy boy so mm. in the film where he's this think you know he's methodical he thinks mm-hmm. and it's just weird that we know he's methodical we know there's a really good reason behind it but we never find out and it's beautiful but frustrating in this in equal measure it seems as well like the final the final push that gets Brody out on the ocean is when the threat of the shark hits so close to home that it affects directly affects his family. I mean it's yeah. it's very close to this that we then see something something happen to Michael and then we've 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 had this whole build up of Brody as the as the family man and how important that is to him. I mean, we wouldn't have all those scenes with Brody and his kids, and we literally just had a nice moment with with Brody and Michael as well, when you know mm. the the do it for the old man sort of thing that that he says to him before he goes into the pond. So that I think is is the thing that really pushes Brody over the edge to sort of have to take direct action. But yeah, it's he should by rights be on one of those boats like he should be mm. out on that boat with with hooper because that is i don't want to say where the action is but that's that's where he should be the the lifeguards are taking care of of the beach and we sort of see them springing spring into action when when the moment comes um but brody can't really apart from you know making sure the people on the beach are safe he can't really do anything to sort of help with this effort of keeping keeping the shark at bay from the beach it's just impossible and we see it again there's not quite the same hesitancy as there there was when alex kintner was attacked and and we see in those scenes that he barely even like he sort of runs towards the water and then he almost like backs away from it he Mm. he doesn't even want to be near it um and we don't see that sort of like same hesitant hesitancy but he's not he's not right up there in in the thick of it and dragging people out the water i mean you could you could wade up to your knees brody and 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 help some of these people out of the water i think um we see as sort of the some of the citizens the nicer citizens of of amity Mm -hmm. leap into action and start um and start helping people as they get closer to the beach but yeah it's it's brody i think i i much prefer the brody of the film uh i much prefer the everything of the film over the book really as we've uh trashed the book on many occasions (laughs) um and with good reason because it's not very good uh the film is great however Mm, and yeah the 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 arc for for brody makes sense the the final uh nail in the coffin really being when it you know affects his son and his son ends up in the hospital even though he's Mm. not attacked by the shark or anything is like that's when we see action man Brody come in basically and and Mm -hmm. he takes he's very very decisive and forceful with with Larry at that point um but yeah it's at this point still sort of 
he can't ignore the problem for much longer. It really is going to come and, and bite him on the ass, as, as, as Hooper says um, a few scenes back. And I just, I, I just wanted to mention something about the people on the beach that I think I picked up on before, but again, not really sort of zeroed in as, as much as we are now. But when the... It happens like immediately after the lifeguard sort of blows the whistle... Um, and we sort of get a real close-up on, on that guy's face, uh, blowing the whistle and, and signalling everyone to come back in. Um, Brady then says, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want him to, to whistle. I think it's, you know, creating more of a panic than there needs mm. to be. But then immediately after that, we see this group of uh, older people on the beach who, rather than being like, oh my gosh, something is happening, maybe we should help, they literally just raise their binoculars up and start like looking <laughs> oh, out yeah. to sea and like i get it because there's something we could all deny it and say that oh no this isn't us but there is that sort of like morbid curiosity when something like that happens where you're like oh i know i shouldn't look but maybe i'm gonna and these people are basically evidence of that they're the sort of I, I refer to them in my notes as like the curious voyeurs they're 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 on the beach they're they're uh kicking back enjoying the enjoying the sunshine and they see it all sort of um kicking off and and something happening on the beach but they don't lift a finger apart from to raise the binoculars to their to their eyes which i thought is um very interesting and also uh They've clearly coordinated their their outfits and have been reading our show notes as well because they're almost entirely in either yellow, red, white, or blue. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad they got the uh, the the memo of of what to wear as they went for their beach trip on this day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I mean this is sort of a much different situation because um, there's not much you can do in this situation, particularly if authorities are on site. But mm. I think you see that a lot in traffic accidents, too. Um, sure. Uh, you know, we uh, there's a term for it. Like, we call it rubbernecking because you're, you're mm-hmm. just, like, <laughs> staring at it um, uh, as you're driving past it. So it's sort of the equivalent of that, which sucks because you could actually hop into action and help out in this situation. Um, you know, the idea of rubbernecking if, is a little more understandable, like I said, particularly if authorities are on there but uh yeah here you could you could you could help out man like you could (laughs) come on it's also kind of ghoulish as well just getting the binoculars up oh is someone gonna get munched let's have a look (laughs) (laughs) yeah 11 o'clock 11 o'clock there's a boy being bitten in half there we go yeah (laughs) well i i think there is this weird uh curiosity that exists about the morbid in people i mean look at the prevalence of murder everything lately you know like <laughs> yeah um true crime and and serial killer podcasts are starting to outnumber movie podcasts which i didn't think was possible and mm. uh you know um even uh it, oh gosh i had a point i was gonna make <laughs> i don't remember oh yeah we used to just like before tv Entertainment was just going to watch someone get hung. Yeah, that's hmm. that's a good point. Like, there's there's this really great bit in um, the Coen Brothers True Grit where they they hang some criminals at the beginning of the movie, and after they hang, the crowd bursts into applause. And it didn't 
hit me until I had seen that movie for like the third or fourth time where I was like, well, wait a minute, did they just clap? The, those people got hung? Like, it was this weird, like, darkly funny joke that didn't even hit me until, like, three or four viewings in. And then I realized, and the, the Coen brothers use that to great effect across their entire career. They basically make a joke out of a hanging every time uh, mm-hmm. they they make a Frontier-type movie. But, uh, it, but it did hit me where it was like, I mean, yeah, there wasn't, like, you couldn't watch, like, I Love Lucy or anything. <laughs> I guess that's what <laughs> people did for entertainment, I suppose. Mm. Um, and so there is there is a morbid curiosity that, that I think is inherent to all people. And so to, especially to include that in this so over-the-top sequence, I think is really smart shot selection on Spielberg, like to just think about to cover that even and get that in there, I think is really, um, really smart. Mm-hmm. I also think there's this sense of the people sacrificing themselves for the greater good of the town. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a Wicker Man esque ritual for the whole for people to get in the sea, and I could sort of understand it being, you know, primarily a holiday town where people only really visit when it's, you know, suitable to do so. But it's just, there's one bit where Larry's looking over and he's seeing all all the chaos happening and he's on the shore. And, you know, he looks like he's slowly but surely being defeated. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, you know just a bit before all this kicks off he's saying and you know amity means friendship which is a proper cult like saying i have to <laughs> say it, that is something that you would get it's some weird crazy cult on a ranch somewhere mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know there is this whole kind it's it's not he, he makes it about the whole city you know if if we don't have a some of this the whole city will go under we've got the hotelier lady who's pushing for you know something to be done you know there's a whole bunch of livelihoods at stake and when you think about those old people with the binoculars it's kind of like are they just so blasé about this that they're kind of expecting that people need to die in order to for the sea to thrive even with this looming danger that is that is dark but a good very very good point and i mean the the presence of the shark is is felt in amity even though they're they are you know larry is sort of peddling this lie of we've caught the shark everything's fine come down to the beaches there will be a lot of people on that beach who either either don't believe it or are still a bit sort of on edge as well. And Amity is like cashing in on this, uh, you know, we're about to hear it refer to as Shark City a, <laughs> a mm. bit later. And that they are cashing in on it. So there's no there's no escaping this this idea of the of the shark there. In fact, actually, I've just scrolled ahead to it. Um the people when you see them with their binoculars like right next to them is the shark souvenir stool um it's it's (laughs) it's bright yellow and it's selling some sort of like shark shark jaws like fake shark jaws it appears maybe shark teeth i don't know um so it's the thing that i got in the back of my mind is like 
were they uh, i mean perhaps expecting to see something happen were they wanting to see <laughs> see something happen <laughs> as well like they I mean, maybe taking binoculars to the beach is a perfectly normal thing to do. Maybe you're sort of looking out for a particularly interesting seabird or something. I don't know what people get up to in their spare time. Um, but it, it seems strange that this like, whole line of people are just like ready and waiting like with the binoculars. Like, Do you think they've just all gone down to the beach and been like, oh, well, like they've said the shark has been caught, but like this could be a... <laughs> This could be a fun time, lads, if we just uh, go down to the beach. Bring your binoculars. Don't forget to wear uh, yellow, red, white, or blue. Um, we'll position ourselves next to it. the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the equivalent now would be someone with an iPhone just like... <laughs> filming Posting the... Uh, up on, filming... Their, on their TikTok, man yeah. gets eaten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In little Instagram live or something. Just like, guys, I am watching the shark attack right now. Yeah. This is basically the 1975 equivalent of that, I think, is yeah. is these old people <laughs> with their binoculars. <laughs> but then what you don't see is the shark also recording the fake shark on his TikTok. Like, <laughs> hey, these guys think that this is a real shark, but it's it's not. <laughs> and posting it to uh, TikTok. Um... Wait. <laughs> TikTok. That's... <laughs> Chomper instead of Twitter. I don't uh, know. Yeah. Is that no. a... <laughs> Flipper, I guess, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Finstagram. Uh, oh, there <laughs> it is. There it is. We got there Finstagram. eventually. Instead of a little bird, it's a little leg coming. <laughs> <laughs> the severed leg of the guy in, uh, in the next bit. <laughs> Alex, I hope you're taking notes because we're gonna have a sticker set. We have to, we have to bang out real quick. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> the merchandise that people truly need uh, from this podcast. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I yeah. You sort of touched on um, on Larry a little yeah. bit, um, and having just seen what we've seen, it's quite. It's, it's quite satisfying to see him squirm in this in this moment. He looks pretty shocked at what he is seeing unfold, and we've literally just had the, um, as Sam mentioned, the Amity Means friendship uh, sort of cult leader line delivered with a smile, and all the kids having a great time in the background, and then to see this image of Larry just sort of looking at the chaos as it's happening on the beach. Um, I was basically the old people with the binoculars and was just, you know, sipping my cup of tea, enjoying myself, seeing Larry squirm a little bit, which was, uh, uh, he, he deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> he deserves to feel, at 100%. the very least, a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, everyone compares him to Boris Johnson <clears throat> in this country because of how everything's been dealt with the coronavirus. I actually think that's an insult to Larry because... You know, Boris Johnson's an idiot. The thing with Larry is he's not an idiot. He knows mm. full well what he's doing. And, you know, he he knows full well that, you know, more people are going to be coming to the island because, you know, there's potentially a shark there. And human curiosity is such a powerful thing. Mm. Sometimes mm. idiotic, but very powerful. Yeah. And, you know, put in you know dollar signs in front of 
basic safety is just an absolute travesty to do but he does it with a smile and he does it with a lot of he has a lot of support behind him it's uh, it closer just after the Chrissy attack you know where mm, he's uh -huh. on the boat with all the uh, the uh, coroner wasn't it who's on there yeah. with him mm -hmm. yeah uh, you know he's got all of this you know background behind him supporting him in doing this and that kind of gives him more carte blanche to be more blasé about everything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's just, you know, the, the level of... You have to be intelligent in order to pull off something like this. Because yeah. if you was an idiot, you'd hope people would be like, shut up, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you hope, fingers crossed. But this, he is so charismatic and so intelligent mm -hmm. that he's able to convince these people, especially in the town meeting, that, you know, they need to keep the beaches open for, for the sake of their livelihoods. It's, mm -hmm. you know, he's pipe pipering them in some mm -hmm. respect. <laughs> and, you know, it, when, he, when he starts to, you know, fill his drawers, when he sees all the commotion, it is an absolute beautiful sight. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think, you know, I, I, and maybe this is just because I follow the right people and I'm friends with the right people, but there were a lot of comparisons between, obviously, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump when he was around. And that's a really interesting point that, that the thing is, people kind of see through the bullshit that Trump and Boris Johnson kind of do and did. Um, mm -hmm. And... I would say it's by and large a vocal majority who talk about it. Like I heard way more, I hear way more about how they, how people don't like the things that these people do, that those, those two do and did than I do uh, from people who don't. Um, Sarah just dropped something. Yeah. <laughs> and can I just uh, say, I've always hated that guy's suit. <laughs> it's just the picture that's just popped up, and it's him in his little nautical suit. And it's um, like, oh, it's something you dress a toddler up in. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just as you were as you were making the uh, the uh, Boris Johnson and and. Larry Vaughan comparisons. Uh, I felt uh, right to drop in the the article that was was spoken about a lot, and is why Jaws has sort of risen up, <laughs> as it were, in, in during this pandemic, and why people have sort of made comparisons between the two. Um, Boris Johnson has actually come out and said that that Larry is um, is the hero of the film in putting like economy economy first and and prioritizing livelihoods and stuff like that so make of that what you will but it felt um it felt relevant to what we were just talking about so uh as an american here um one r.i.p if you're listening to this kind of loud in your headphones what? <laughs> what? what i didn't know this i didn't yes. know he said what I'm glad to have this live reaction to you finding this out, MJ. <laughs> what? Uh, 
one, shout out to the person who was like, how do you feel about Jaws, prime minister? And uh, <laughs> shout out to Boris, I guess, for just kind of laying it out there. Just, <laughs> I mean, at, at least he's honest, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, we're clutching at straws here, but yeah. <laughs> it's the, To be fair, though, Boris Johnson has the same childlike dress sense as Larry Vaughan. <laughs> Larry Vaughan does have it's, much better hair. This oh. is very true. That man knows his way around a, a, a pomade and a, and a brush, mm, I think. Yeah. Boris, on the other hand, no, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but, so the, the first, I think I've said this on the podcast before, the first couple of times I saw that guy... I was like, why is Gary Busey in suits in, in the public eye all the time? <laughs> It'd probably be better, to be honest. Yeah, straight up, straight up, like, no, not not even doing a joke. Legit thought he was Gary Busey the first few times I saw pictures of him and, like, didn't read the headlines. <laughs> uh, Larry Vaughn in this scene is it's such a quick shot of him but it says everything and it's Mm -hmm. really great um and there's this bit this is okay mj hasn't sarah's been doing the uh the 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 shoestring on the wall connecting the pictures for the last handful of episodes so (laughs) it's my turn um there is in the lead up to this shot i'm about to drop something else in the discord there is this person who's running what the hell sorry there's this person who's running behind uh larry carrying a yellow like plaid raft oh yeah um and what stuck out to me is that it looks like a suit larry would wear but (laughs) we also know that that yellow raft is what we associate with Alex Kittner. And so mm. to me, it was this way of like connecting the two, like inseparably, you know, you get this loud, obnoxious pattern on there that Larry would absolutely wear. I no bones about it. And you put it on this yellow raft and um, it just calls to mind Alex Kittner. Every time you see a yellow raft, the rest of the movie you think of him. If I see it in real life, I think of Alex Kittner, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I really like that, that solidifying their fates together that way of like, this is Larry's fault. This is because of you. Mm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. That is real interesting. And actually (laughs) just looking at this still um, that you've put in the discord as well, the 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 kid is carrying like, (laughs) Of the white and blue like little boat in front of it with, with a red the handle. red right. Tell me that doesn't look like the Jaws post. <laughs> it's like the blue, the blue water, the sky, the red writing. Mm. I think it's I think it's a handle on the boat. This is just a, yeah. a weird coincidence, but you cannot tell me that that doesn't look at least a little bit like the colors of the Jaws post. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, Who's my. crazy now, huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, this is what the podcast has become. <laughs> yeah. Just 
um, the graffiti billboard poster um, mm. with the help shark. I never noticed how much the drawn on fin actually looks like the fake fin. Mm. Oh, it does. I, until it's just until it was staring at me right in the face. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I think those that kids is. might have done that, done that poster as well. You know. You know what? <laughs> I, they, <laughs> Amity's resident pranksters. They have been <laughs> prolific. Uh, <laughs> so here's here's to to take this even further. Oh no. Those kids are Charlie and Den Herder's kids, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, sure. I <laughs> potentially, yeah. <laughs> because they have big Charlie and Den Herder energy about them. <laughs> the he made me do it. Yeah. 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 And just the, like, thinking this was going to be a good idea in the first damn place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense as you explain it now. <laughs> yeah. Because isn't in uh, Charlie and Den heard a bit, isn't, like, one of them is constantly being, like, can we go home? Like, I didn't want to yeah. be here. So it seems like the other has sort of, like, coerced them into being there. Um I think these kids are both equally to blame, but I do love the the kid who just immediately points his finger at the other one as like, he made me do it. And I think quite early on into us doing this podcast, MJ, you shared that, you shared that picture and we're like, this is basically like, I am the, I am the kid who's just stood there silent and you are the other one who is like, she made me do it in terms of starting this podcast. So yeah. <laughs> So it's nice to it's nice to see us uh, represented yeah. in this in this scene. Also, I'm a big fan. Yeah, these are our spirit characters. <laughs> they absolutely are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but look, if I hadn't have made you do this podcast, we would not be sitting here looking at this uh, this still and picking out the weirdest things that we've never noticed before, uh, and somehow making the connection that these kids are Charlie and Den Herders as well. So. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just love our, the way our... this podcast makes me look at everything in a weird kind of way now. It's giving me <laughs> a whole new dimension for Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're going to be like, why don't I watch every film minute by minute? <laughs> yeah. oh. As well, long it's... As it's not a Marvel, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't have enough hours in the day. <laughs> Well, and I've noticed that it it does kind of help me. Uh, this podcast has has kind of helped me watch movies a little bit better. Like, um, I just notice way more little stuff. I think Kristen mentioned it the other night. We were watching something, and I was like, "Hey, wait a minute!" And uh, noticed it was some little detail in whatever we were watching. And Kristen was like, "Oh, the podcast has changed you. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is." Uh, this is not like you did not notice these little details the way uh, you do now because you're just I, it just like rewired my brain to mm-hmm. look for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll 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 do that to you. This uh, this process it will uh, make you question everything you've ever known to be true about <laughs> yeah. yours, um, and find 
all of the things that we have found in this scene apparently which has been quite a lot um did you guys have did you guys have anything else um in your notes that we that we haven't covered or anything else that you wanted to to mention it's um the only thing i've really got from this is in order to create the absolute perfect horror scene they didn't rely on music or fancy camera shots all of this Mm -hmm. was just done with centered focus fantastic editing and just humanity on display Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that's always an amazing feat because not all people can do that on film it's, most of the time it just falls flat on its face but Steven Spielberg has managed to make this one bit that shouldn't by rights fit in this film at all <laughs> not only fit but glue it mm-hmm. if that makes sense it's this is an absolute pivotal moment because it's like you said you know just after this it all gets a bit too close to home for Brody mm-hmm. it's what? all um, you know it's all starting to just gel in it's all starting to close in and I just mm-hmm. think it's beautiful in that respect yeah it, 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 it well and it, it also it's going to hit close to home for Larry too. Like he says, my kids were on that beach later on, like not to do a, you ain't so different. You and I about Larry and Brody, but this scene is where their two like fatal flaws become fatal. Like Brody, mm. not, I mean, not that, you know, anything would have gone differently, I guess, if Brody were out there, but Brody should have been out there. They, he probably could have caught the shark, like with another pair of eyes out there. Mm. And, Larry would have avoided another, at the very least, amputation uh, that happens coming up with this. But and it's it, we see that happen in this scene. We see these realizations, I think, happen to both of these men here. And like, yeah, they're not the same, but they also have like certain flaws that have led them. And I don't want to, I don't want to try to paint Brody as equally as responsible as Larry as he's not. But there is certain stuff that Brody could have done better. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, to have that, that flaw in your hero is, we don't see that really nowadays. And it's really nice to kind of have that and be reminded of it and, and, you know, also understand where that person is coming from. Because I think people don't really understand where Larry is coming from because the answer is so obvious. With Brody, I think we can understand where he's coming from. But it still leads to this outcome of just like, when you let those things live rent free in your head and these these ideas um they can take a really dangerous route and have collateral damage and it sometimes it's unintended and sometimes you know exactly what you're doing and i think larry and Brody show both sides of that yeah mm-hmm. it's it's definitely a whole show of humanity here the different shades of it um you see, we see what people do in their desperate time of some people need some people it's fear but it's at that moment where it's fight or flight Mm. and we you know with larry's it's definitely you know he could have gone out there and helped people you know be a hands-on man but instead he just stood still and watched everything go horribly wrong it's Mm. there is just so much going on and the different reactions of people and 
you know, it is a very chaotic scene as well. Uh, you know, even after we get the whole, you know, we see the fin in the water, it's just the way everyone's reactions, even on the beach, you know, the observers, it becomes, on the beach, it just becomes organized chaos until we get the influx of people from the water. And it is just how everyone instead of working together everyone kind of fractures and it becomes every person for themselves yeah it's we really you do see it all in this scene as as you've sort of said and, and we've said previously as well in the different ways people re react to what's happening and there are those people who are a bit more hands-on and you see people from the beach like wading out into the sea to help those as well and in the same shot you're also seeing someone being climbed over and pushed down and you know these the the two kids that are on the the little raft that gets stolen by that guy they're like trying to like you can see the little girl she's trying to sort of like shuffle themselves along so they can mm. so they can move like maybe she can't swim or i don't know but uh, you know she's she's clearly trying to move and get out of the water as well and I mean, uh, maybe I'm a better person than the guy who just decides to steal the raft for himself. But if that was, if I was out in the sea as well and I saw these two kids struggling, I would, I would help them. But then mm. I know there are also people who, who wouldn't do that as well. There are those people, like you said, who would be every man for themselves. And and we see, we see plenty of that. We see the fear. We see the woman holding the child who is just sort of rooted to the spot. It seems just screaming because that's the only thing she can do in that moment yeah. um to sort of express the way that that she is feeling and larry in a sense as well as you know yeah you would like to see him be a bit more hands-on and, and and out there and helping people if if he truly cared about them but he is kind of fixed on the spot as well and we sort of find out the reason the reason for that in in the next few scenes when when he says about his kids and that's really the only sort of like scrap of humanity we see we see from larry is is that bit but yeah so much to take away from this from this scene and so much so much good stuff as well in such a, mm. a weird strange little little scene and actually we've not even really mentioned hooper but we get a very a very brief bit of hooper right at the end um just where we leave it where he is out on the boat and and he is sort of communicating with brody and he compared to to everyone else the other sort of like shark spotters who are out there he is both concerned with what is happening happening at sea and also concerned about the the people on the beach as well and he asks mm. brody are they okay are the people okay and he mm. he doesn't get flustered he doesn't get panicked he isn't sort of um reacting in in, in a way that that is how other people in this scene are reacting so we sort of see the the cool calm professional um in in hooper as well as we would expect as you know he is he has dealt with many a shark and and knows what he is up against but yeah the the full uh the breadth of humanity is is what we see in this scene i think if we had to boil it down to uh to just that um yeah i think in life we should just be more like hooper <laughs> in general hashtag be more hooper yeah i can get on board with that <laughs> i'm down absolutely well uh sam thank you so much for coming this was uh awesome thank you for having me it's been amazing 
yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to plug where people can find you online? Any uh, projects you're working on that people can check out? Just watch more Jaws and be good to each other, really. Mm. <laughs> I wish I would have come up with that instead of it's Jaws o'clock somewhere, but here we are. <laughs> oh, and don't be like Larry Vaughan. Do not be like Larry Vaughan, please. Y- A fictional yes. one is all we need. Don't be like Larry Vaughan. <laughs> Yeah, um, cool. Uh, where can people follow you on social media if they want to, or is that um, not something you want happening? <laughs> I don't care. Um, okay. I'm on Sam from IJ on Twitter. Um, follow me there. I, cool. I'm very boring. Um, you'll find pictures of my dog, maybe some books and some records, but yeah, fill your boots. <laughs> Great. Um, well, you can find us on social media at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter, and uh, you can you can contact us there if you would like to follow us uh, separately as the co-hosts as we tweet about stuff that's other than Jaws, but mostly Jaws. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are at uh, at MJ Smith eight nine one and at Sarah Buttery S A R A H B U D D E R Y on uh, Twitter. You can email the show. Um, jaws for a minute at gmail.com to give us any feedback or um, you know share anything with us that you want to if you have jaws media and stuff that you want to to share with us uh, you can hit us up there um, we want to give a shout out to Alex our uh, graphic designer who has made our super great logos which you can buy as part of our merch um, on TeePublic and Redbubble you can follow him at Hex Shadow on Twitter um, the merch, you can follow, uh, you, you can't follow the merch, the merch isn't sentient, but, uh, you can buy some merch on TeePublic and Redbubble, and the link to that is in our Twitter bio, um, along with a link to the, uh, coffee page, which we are running a contest on. If you donate to our coffee page, um, you will be entered into a drawing, uh, to win a, uh, a, a piece of merch, which, uh, you know, a, t- a t-shirt. So if you donate just $3, you could win a potentially twenty dollar um, t-shirt. So, uh, you know, there's there's a good risk reward there. I think, um, and we're pretty close to hitting our, our donor goal on that. So, um, a couple more, and, and we'll be able to to kick off that contest. So, um, yeah, you can find that link in our Twitter bio as well. Um, our theme song, which is back this week, I promise. Stuff went sideways with the last episode. Um, <laughs> is written and performed by uh, my wife, Kristen Falls, and you can find her at Kristen Falls on Instagram, and you can get a link to her band camp where you can purchase the song for uh, 99 cents. And it's the whole version of the song. So the, the part you hear at the beginning is just a snippet of a full three-minute song uh, <laughs> she wrote for this. So go check that out on her band camp. Um, until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.